Father in heaven, thank you for the Sabbath, a reminder of creation and redemption, a reminder that we need to rest in you, that we can't make ourselves holy, but we can rest in the assurance every seven days that it's only God and God alone who can make us holy. So we thank you for this continual reminder of creation and redemption. Lord, tonight, we need help. I need help. I pray that you would give these ideas and thoughts some semblance of understanding that through your Spirit would touch hearts tonight, that Jesus would be uplifted and Christ would be seen. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was 2004, and there I was, sitting in the senior pastor's office of a thousand-member church that will go unnamed in an Adventist community. I'd just been hired by a conference. I was single, straight out of the seminary. And they were trying to figure out where to put this single pastor because, you know, you can't put him in the middle of nowhere to die. Praise God, they didn't do that to me. And so they're trying to figure out where to put this young man. They thought, oh, youth pastor. And so I'm sitting there, and I don't really want it. And praise God, the senior pastor took one look at me and said, you're not my first choice. And I looked at him. And I said, you're not either. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Revisionist history. My memory's fa- failing me. I said, actually, youth pastoring is not really a good fit for me either. And I walked out of there, and I thought, that man don't like me. And I said, this ain't happening. Next you know, conference calls me and says, David, you're going to this church. That's what happens when you're not ordained. I said, okay. And so I show up there. Awkward situation, right? You know, that man doesn't want you because you're not the first choice, and you basically told him the same thing. And so he's like, I guess this has to work. Bad situation. And to make matters worse, there was, an, there was a young lady that actually had her master's in youth ministry, that was applying for the job, and she didn't get it. And in walks Mr. Incompetence. Suddenly takes her job, and we overlapped for six months. It was bad. I mean, I felt bad for her. I felt bad for me. I felt bad for everything. I had just graduated with a master's degree in theological studies. And I'm like youth ministry, this, this is not a good fit. I came out with words like soteriology, eschatology, harmatology, everyology. And these young people are like, what language is this man talking? And I remember one of my mentors pulled me aside and said, David, they can't understand you. And so here I am giving Bible studies to eight-year-olds And I'm wondering, Lord, 
What did I do wrong? Why am I here? What am I doing? Have you forgot about me? This was a wrong placement. I mean, the, the analysis in heaven and, and the protocol, there was a mix-up here. I'm not supposed to be here. And to make matters even worse, if it could be possible, is that I was third string in the preaching lineup. Number one, senior pastor. Number two, associate pastor. And number three, little old me. Which meant one time a year. And the Lord had me stay there for four years. My parents would call me and be like, David, are you okay? You sound like you are dying. I'll come back to this at the end. There's something called a holding pattern. Right, Dr. Clark, in flight? And according to Wikipedia, which is gospel, right? They say it's usually an oval course flown by aircraft awaiting further clearance, especially to land. In other words, a holding pattern is basically you're going nowhere. You're just circling around, and I read about these these forums where they said, hey, what's the longest holding pattern you've ever been in? And one individual says that he took a two-hour flight. It should have been a two and a half an hour flight. It turned into a five-hour flight, and he said it felt like 10 years up there. There we go again, an oval flying pattern when you're wondering, when am I ever going to land? Just going in circles. And that's the way I felt. I knew that this was not my final destination. I knew that this was not my destiny, at least I hope not. But I was there for four years. Now, young people, that's a long time, right? That's like a fourth of your life, academy students. I mean, that's eternity. And for me, straight out of seminary, that was a long time in my 20s. In 2004, I mean, you do the math. I'm sorry, like fountain of youth. Come on now, okay? You can talk to me later. That was 2004, not 2014. And so there I was in a holding pattern. What am I doing? This is not my final destination. You feel like you're going in circles, and, and it makes no sense. And yet, this is God's number one way or I should say, his number one option in terms of a curriculum. We're talking about true education here, right? When it comes to 101, or his modus operandi, or the, the mode that he chooses in training people for leadership positions, is that he places them many times in a holding pattern. A place where you're wondering when it will ever end. A place where you are thinking, what am I doing here? And quite frankly, I am wasting my time and my talent just going around. And maybe, I hope you don't feel this way, but maybe you feel like you're in a holding pattern here at Watchdale's College or Academy. What am I doing here? 
in this class. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe there's some staff that feel like that. I hope not. But maybe you do. You may not think that this is your final destination, but for whatever reason, God has placed you there. Now, let me give you some biblical examples very quickly. Joseph, talk about his holding pattern. Did Joseph have a destiny? He's to be prime minister of Egypt. And he had some inkling that he was destined for greatness. Now, look, Joseph was a spoiled brat. I'm sorry. Coddled by his father given the best coat, and you would think this brother would have a little bit of EQ to think, look, I can't tell him this dream because they're going to hate me, but he goes in there and says, oh, the sun and the moon and the stars, I wonder who that could be, all paid me homage. Hmm. And then they sell him as a slave, and look at his holding pattern, Potiphar's house, Sweeping floors, emptying chamber pots, weeding, day-to-day mundane, and he's trying to be faithful, and then he gets thrown in Crowbar Hotel. Crowbar Hotel, you know, prison. For something that he didn't even do. And he's there in a holding pattern. And philosophy of having this education class, remember when he told the person that was going to be released, he said, remember me. And the brother forgets. And it's two years where God's like, I'm not done with the holding pattern. You just stay in there until I tell you to get out. David gets anointed. And I think according to chronology, it's like 10 years of running as a fugitive for his life. Ten years, and Ellen White says he wondered whether he would ever become king. That's a long holding pattern. And so the question arises, why? Why does God put people that have destiny, and all of you have destiny, all of you have purpose, we're not just here by accident, God has a vision for your life, amen? And so when God has a vision for someone's life and they're following God's divine blueprint, the divine plan, he puts them into a holding pattern. We call it a wilderness experience. And it seems so inefficient. Why would you do this? Why not just get them straight to glory? Why not just get them straight to their destiny and their mission? But God's like, uh, 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 and I'm going to put you in this place that you don't understand and, quite frankly, is uncomfortable. And you're wondering why this doesn't work, why it doesn't align with your talents and gifts and abilities. You think you could be doing something else. Maybe this is beneath you. Maybe this is below you. Maybe you're just processing. You're like, this is not my calling. And you're placed there by God. And there's no question about that reality. And let's come to what I believe is the ultimate holding pattern illustration. Moses. Forty years. Forty 
years. I mean, now, to you young people, that's like forever. I mean, that's like old fogey stuff, but just wait. Just wait. Come on now. And so, and so 40 years, not 35, not 39, 40. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even do sheep, you know, just out there day after day. The beard is really long by this time. Forty years. And God doesn't tell you it's going to be 40. God doesn't tell you when it's on a timer. I mean, don't you love timers? Because you know the countdown. But this is a timer that you don't even know, and you're just parked there, and it's like, what in the world is going on? What's the purpose? It seems inefficient. It seems meaningless. But Moses was there for 40 years, and this is Patriarchs and Prophets 247. Man would have dispensed with that long period of toil and obscurity, deeming it a great loss of time. There's slaves in Egypt, suffering, crying out to God to deliver them and their leader is 40 years on ice, 40 years in obscurity, 40 years out of commission. What's Moses doing? And I think they probably knew this brother was destined for greatness. Oh, he's tending sheep because he's an ex-convict. FEI's most wanted list out there for 40 years. But infinite wisdom called him who was to become the leader of his people to spend 40 years in the humble work of a shepherd. The habits of caretaking, of self-forgetfulness, and tender solitude for his flock thus developed would prepare him to become the compassionate, long-suffering shepherd of Israel. No advantage that human training or culture could bestow could be a substitute for this experience. Let me read that again. No advantage or human training or culture could bestow could be be a substitute for this experience. Now, here's the question. What's he learning? Calculus? He's learning character. And character doesn't come because Character doesn't come easy. Character comes through time and hardship. Character is not a microwave. I mean, don't you love microwaves? It's like, you know, we love that instant. Characters like a crock pot. Slow simmer, and it just takes a long time. And quite frankly, I hate crockpots. I never use them. But here is how God works. Character is the reason that God places you on a holding pattern, because something is happening while nothing is happening. And the thing that's happening is your character. 
Are you in a holding pattern? Are you in a place where you're wondering why? What am I doing here? It's character that God is forming. And here's a tip. When God is bringing something around, sit up, pay attention, because if you don't learn at that time, he keeps bringing it back. And so my prayer is, Lord, whatever it is you're trying to teach me, please help me to learn now so I don't have to keep going through this. And God will bring character through roommates. Amen. Right? People that snore all night. I mean, I don't want to get sensitive here. You know, people that leave stuff out that drive you nuts. Pray for patience. Try it. God will bring you roommates that try your patience and drive you nuts. Character is the harvest of life. Character is why true education is one of the most difficult endeavors that we go through, and a lot of times it doesn't make sense. Holding patterns, the reason for them is that character requires time, and God obviously is willing to take it with Moses. So what do I do when I'm in a holding pattern? Good question. I mean, what do you do when nothing's happening? What do you do when you're waiting for your final destiny, whatever that is, and you're going in circles and you're wondering, what is the meaning of my existence? What am I doing here? And trust me, if you're not in a holding pattern now, one day, mark my words. If you're following God, you will be. And so here's some tips. Number one, don't leave until God tells you the time is up. I know people that leave the oven before the bread is fully baked. And for Moses, that timer was 40 years for that bread to be perfect. Now, he doesn't burn it. It's not burnt toast. But he wants it just right. And so don't leave because you'll be doughy and half-baked, and that's unusable. And so stay in there. Don't leave. I had a situation where I was called to, to, to Siberia. Just kidding. It was Alaska. Alaskans that are watching, I love you. You know that. When I got the call, I said, this is not the call. This is the wrong call. I said, how about those previous calls that I turned down? And I said, certainly this is not it. So I said, I'm going to make this hard for the Lord. I'm in Michigan. The housing economy, the housing market is falling apart. I'm going to pray to God and say, Lord, if you want me to go to Alaska, I need my home to sell this week. I said, this is not happening. And so I'd already visited and... They had extended the call, and I'm like, I don't want to have a home in the lower 48 and, and, and be living in Alaska. So I said, house this week. Next thing I know, two days later, there's an offer, and we're closing. And I said, what is happening? So we drove up there with our golden retrievers in October and then land there, and the sun you don't see it. You're like, what is that? It comes up and kisses the horizon and then goes down, at least in Anchorage. The sun comes up like at 11 and goes down at 3. 
And then in the summer, it's like it's the reverse. You need blackout blinds. And so I would go through these emotions of the, of, of the February where I'm wondering, like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And I need to leave this state. And then in the summer, I'd be like, I never want to leave ever again. This is the most glorious place in the world. So it's like these extremes that I would go through. And I remember distinctly, I had just gotten to that church, and it was like December, three months in. And I'm wondering what has happened to my life. I'm allergic to cold weather. And I get this call from a conference president. And he says, where are you? And I said, I'm in the Alaska conference. He said, look, I got a call for this big church. It's got your name on it. And I said, brother, you know you pay a big penalty, especially in the Alaska conference, if you take me before four years. I mean, you take a big financial hit because not only you have to pay me moving out, you have to pay the move up. And he said, I'll pay it. And I was like, Lower 48, big church. I was this close. And God's like, don't you dare leave. You're in the oven. And you stay until you're baked. I'm like, okay. And I said, I'll have to respectfully decline. But, you know, in a couple of years, keep me on file. You know, it's just like one of those things. And so I stayed for five years. Oh, still get, I'm not traumatized. Five years in the oven. And it was the crucible. But now looking back, I praise God because it was exactly what I needed. Watch for the province of God. He'll tell you when the time is up. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush after all, and Elisha had his cloak put upon him when he was driving those oxen with his servants. Doors will open, and you don't have to force your way out. You will know when you're done. And look, when you try to leave early, God will make it very clear that you need to stay. As much as you think, you should leave. So number one, what do you do when you're in a holding pattern? Don't leave until God tells you the time is up. And number two, do faithfully what lies nearest. Don't be like, this is a holding pattern. I'm going to be lazy, lackadaisical, unfaithful. Do what lies nearest. Because whatever it is, whether it's sweeping floors or cleaning toilets or any menial task, you're building character. And there's a reason why you're there. Don't think this is beneath me. Don't think this is below my talent. Don't think that this is something that you can't, you can't fathom or understand. So be faithful. Be faithful in whatever tasks God has set before you. Because that is the preparation for your destiny, whatever it may be. And don't think... It's a, it's a worldly destiny of greatness. After all, John the Baptist was called the greatest prophet. And look what happened to him. Out of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his suffering 
is the highest honor. So remember that, greatness in the eyes of God. There I was at the village church. Four years, youth pastor, wondering what I'm doing there. Giving Bible studies to eight-year-olds, preaching once a year. What am I going to do? Well, I had two options, be faithful or lazy. So I said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do my best. Every lesson I poured my heart into and I tried to take these concepts of eschatology and soteriology and Christology and make it relevant and understandable to an eight-year-old. And I practiced that over and over and over again. And I said, you know what? I'm going to preach one time a year. And that's going to be the best prepared sermon ever because I got all year to prepare for it. One shot. Now, I could have said, oh, one sermon a year, poor me, but I didn't. Faithful in what lies nearest. So I said, look, one sermon, I'm going to practice. And so I would, I would practice my sermon on a regular basis. Matter of fact, I have it here with me. I forgot to bring it. This is from 2004. I keep it with me as a reminder. Remember what this is? It's a tape, guys. You can see it in a museum. I'm that dated. Man, I wonder what it says. I mean, oh, that's, that's horrific. Oh, man. And so... I would practice. Faithful in life. I would practice my sermon and listen to it over and over again. How can I improve? What can I do? You know, I'm, I'm going to improve this every, every opportunity I got. And so I get up there and preach. And look, you can't compete with a brother that's been preparing all year. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I practice thing, this thing in front of the mirror, you know. I had it down. Every time I have this in my desk in my office, every time I open that thing, I'm rem I remember, David, be faithful. I keep this. I didn't sell it on eBay. Faithful. And so after a while, word started to get out in that little community. They're like, they would, you know, it's like the consumer, the consumer environment, because they would all shift to whoever's preaching. And so when they, when they heard David Shin's preaching at so and such, such, such a church, these people would come. Well, they didn't know I'd been preparing all year, but word started to get out. And it, and it got to the ears of my conference president. And then suddenly, D. Hildebrand from 3ABN calls him and says, hey, we are looking for some young preachers that have potential that maybe we could use at 3ABN. And he says, David Shin. And so 
I get the call from 3ABN, come down and do Faith Chapel, which was, unbeknownst to me, the way that they vetted their preachers. You have to preach to a camera in an empty room, and that camera is not just a camera, it's, it's a screen of your face. Try that. And there's a counter, 28 minutes, and you need to milk it all the way to zero. And so I got wind of this, and so I would get my tape recorder and go in front of the mirror with a timer, and look, a minute is a long time when you have nothing to say. And so I would bring it down. I'd have my phrases down, you know, two-minute two minute rundown, five-minute well rundown, and I went there, and I filmed like 13 sermons back-to-back. But I'd practiced. I had a friend of mine that was called to the same thing. And he didn't practice. And so it took him like 20 cuts for one sermon. And he didn't make the cut. Next thing I know, I get a phone call. I want you to host with Steve Wolberg. I said, I've never hosted before. He said, we've seen, we've seen you at Faith Chapel. Come on over. So I go down, host with Steve Wolberg. Then it goes to a two-hour live. Then it's three ABN camp meeting. It's been 17 years. And now I'm on the board of three ABN. Now, this is not for me to toot my own horn. But the reality is, what if I had been unfaithful? at the village church with my one sermon? What if I had treated it like any other sermon, just shot from the hip and thought, oh, this is all I get? I deserve more than this? You owe me? What if I had been disrespectful to my senior pastor and said, I want more? But no. If you're faithful in that which is least, you'll also be faithful in much. What has God put before you today? The little things, the little tasks, the little responsibilities. You're building the muscles of character that will give the trend and the the trajectory of your life. And so whatever God has put before you, be faithful. Ellen White says, but many Christians are waiting for some great work to be brought to them because they cannot find a place large enough to satisfy their ambition. They fail to perform faithfully the common duties of life. These seem to them uninteresting. Day by day, they let slip opportunities for showing their faithfulness to God while they are waiting for some great work. Life passes away. Its purpose is unfulfilled. Its work, unaccomplished. Let us remember that while the work we have to do may not be our choice, it is to be accepted as God's choice for us. Whether pleasing or unpleasing, we are to do the duty that lies nearest.
And ultimately, it comes down to this. Everything you do should be a gift to God that day. Amen? And so do it with discipline. Do it with thoroughness. Do it with energy and exactness. Because that is building character. Maybe you're in a holding pattern. Maybe you feel like, what am I doing here? Remember that something is happening even though nothing is happening. And the something that is happening is happening to you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for holding patterns. We thank you that something is happening even though we think that nothing is happening. Help us to be faithful in that which is least, so you will find us faithful also in much. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.